Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And we are here to share natural resources to help you on your journey to recovery of your child with autism. And the uh, definition of recovery is to regain health. And many of you know that uh, I've shared in the past my, uh, my story as well. I was told that my own son could not recover from his symptoms of autism, and I was not willing to just listen to that. They wanted me to drug him and try behavioral therapies, but I knew that something could be done to help him get better at whatever level amount of better that meant. And so I've researched over the last, over a decade, 12 years now of that. And uh, my son today is fully recovered. So I like to share everything that I can with you and uh, and help you to get your child to their optimum results. And we have today, our topic is on something that is really affecting a lot of people because school's about to start. And the topic is the Parents' Complete Guide to School Advocacy. So I know as school starts, you're thinking, what can I do for my child? How can they get better? And I've noticed on on uh, my Facebook page, which is, if, if you're not on it or following me, please do. It's facebook.com forward slash naturally recovering autism. I have noticed a lot of people sharing today's topic of school advocacy with other friends of theirs uh, and family members because this topic is so important. Our kids are going to start school and they have such a tough time there. And people want to know, well, what can we do to help them be able to focus better or handle their homework or the sensory overload in the classroom, all the fluorescent lights, the noises and distractions and all of their sensory issues just get peaked. They, they have a really hard time there. So the bottom line is how can we help our kids and have an, have an easier time of school? What are the options available? How do you find help? How do you know if your child needs special services? So today we're very fortunate to have a special guest with us who is a school advocacy expert. And her name is Bonnie Landau. And I'm going to give you a little bit of Bonnie's background. Bonnie is an educational consultant and advocate who helps parents obtain special education support for their children. And as a special ed mom herself, Bonnie has dedicated the last 12 years to researching solutions to help recover her oldest son. When he was six, a neuropsychologist said he was beyond help and to plan for group home care as an adult. He's now an honor student and destined to live a typical life. And Bonnie couldn't accept that, that nothing could be done. And she set out on a path to find the solutions to help her son. Sounds like my story. She's the author mm-hmm. of the book, Special Ed Mom Survival Guide and co-author of Same Journey, Different Paths, Stories of Auditory Processing Disorder. She has a master's in educational counseling from the University of Laverne and is a professional clinical counselor, intern, and PPS credentialed school counselor. And I want to make sure I, I say really quickly that, as usual, I will have all of the links that we discuss in today's show on a page at naturallyrecoveringautism.com. If you go to uh, my website there, you just click on podcast at the top of the page, and then in the search bar, type in school advocacy, and you will get all of the links to everything we talk about uh, in this episode, because there's going to be some really, really good ones that you're going to need. So um, without further ado, uh, welcome, Bonnie. And Thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, this is such an important topic. I mean, we should probably start with the the, the simple things. Some some people listening might not even know what an IEP or a 504 plan is or 
how do you get help for one? And I mean, you, you probably know the best place to start with this because there are so many aspects to, does my child actually need help? I know that parents get blamed and we'll get into that, you know, is, are they just being lazy? They're just not motivated. What's going on? How do we know? And when the school won't help us. So uh, where, where do people start? And, and as we talk to um, remember that some people listening might not know what an IEP or 504 or various plans are. So we should uh, definitely um, give a background on those things to, for them as well. Okay. So, yeah, getting started. So, of course, the first thing comes with I have concerns about my child. Uh, perhaps the child is not able to do schoolwork. Perhaps the teacher keeps calling and saying, I'm having problems with your child in class. You know, whatever the concerns are, that's where it begins, where you get a lot of feedback from the school that your child's not quite fitting into the class. Unfortunately, in today's climate, with a uh, lack of funds for schools, the schools are not usually the first ones to step up and say, hey, your kid needs extra help in school. And that's really how it should be. The school should come to you and say, hey, we notice your child's struggling, and we think your child needs extra support. And unfortunately, it's usually the other way around where the parent says, I think you guys need to do more for my child because clearly my child's not able to do school the way most kids their age are doing it. So it starts with a parent writing a letter, and it's really, really crucial that you put it in writing, not verbally, and you write a letter to the school saying, I am concerned that my child may have some sort of a learning disability. Don't specify what. Don't say, I think my kid has autism or my kid has dyslexia or ADHD. You don't want to specify. You just say, I think they have a learning disability because of, and, and list out the things that you're seeing. And then you say, I want my child tested to see if they qualify for special education services. And so that gets the ball rolling. By law, if you put a request like that in writing, they have to evaluate your child. They have to go back and say, okay, what assessments can we give to see if the child does have some sort of a learning disability? And let me explain why it's really crucial that you put this in writing. Because over and over, I have seen it where parents say, well, I asked the school to evaluate. And they said, well, by law, they don't have to. Or your child gets good grades, so they would never qualify. The key component here is I asked, they said. In other words, it all happens verbally. And the school is not required to take any action without a written request. So they can dance around and give you a lot of excuses if you don't do this in writing. So the first step, written request to get support for your child. So then what kind of support is available? Once, once they evaluate, then they should be able to see if your child is struggling in any particular area in school. And then it's decided, do they get a 504 plan or an IEP? So I could give a real high-level difference on what those two things are. I do have on my website, I actually have an infographic that goes through and, and gives in real detail the difference between these two plans. And basically, a 504 plan falls under what's called the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it's a, um, it's a civil rights protection for people with disabilities. And what it does in the school, it provides accommodations for your child or sometimes modifications to help them um, make it easier for your child to do schoolwork. So it sort of levels the playing field. For example, a really easy example would be 
a child who is visually impaired might get a computer that enlarges the text of the textbook. That's a real simple example. Obviously, if a child can't read small text, they can't do their schoolwork like their peers, right? So to level the playing field for that child, they have an accommodation of getting this special computer. Okay, that's an easy one to understand. It's a little bit more ambiguous when you start looking at ADHD and stuff. But that's what it's doing. The 504 is basically saying this kid has a disability or a challenge. Some people don't like that word, disability. They have a challenge that makes school hard. The 504 is supposed to make it easier. Now, the IP, though, is everything the 504 is, plus the IP usually has services. You know what, and we're going to have to take a quick break here. Um, so when we come back, we're going to go into the, the IEP, which uh, because the differences between 504 and IEP are uh, pretty vast. So please stay with us. Again, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. We're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Stay with us. We will be right back. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio, and we have a special guest, a school advocacy expert, Bonnie Landau, with us today. And before the break, if you weren't with us, we were talking about 504 plans, and now we're talking about IEP plans and the difference between the two. So, um, Bonnie, can you go ahead and uh, and uh, I think we were right at the, the the beginning of the IEP plan when we needed to take a break. So, uh, kind of give the the um, you know the differences between the two, but basically, what does an IEP plan offer, and how do you get one? So, an IEP plan has everything that the 504 has, but it also usually includes services. For example, if your child needs speech therapy, or maybe they need occupational therapy for handwriting, or maybe they have, they're in a regular classroom, but they need extra support, so they have an aid. So then they would give you an IEP plan, and the IEP plan also is given if your child has a learning disability where they cannot do schoolwork at grade level. For example, if your child has dysgraphia, which is a writing disability, uh, then they would be pulled out and taken into resource to learn how to write. And that's what's called a modified curriculum. In other words, they're doing work below grade level because of their disability. And so then they would get an IEP. So a 504 levels the playing field for grade level work. But if the student needs more support in terms of services or uh, needs a different curriculum because of the disability, then they would get an IEP. And an IEP is actually governed by the, um, the IDEA, which um, is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. It's a different federal agency from ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so the rules for how you get an IEP versus a 504 are very different because they fall under two different umbrellas. And it's much more difficult usually to get the IEP because the IEP has a lot of rules around how it works. And the school has a lot of, they have to put goals into the IEP and they have to review it every year. And they have to make sure the student is making measurable progress. And they don't have any of that accountability with a 504. 504 is, um, like I said before, it's like a civil rights protection. It's basically saying, you know, because of this disability, the child will not be discriminated against. 
and there's a lot of ambiguity in the language and how it gets implemented and if it gets implemented. And there's not a lot of protection if it's not implemented properly. Whereas the IEP, there's a lot of rules and regulations and it takes a lot more time and a lot more, um, a, a lot more effort on the school's part to make sure it's implemented properly. And so the IEPs, because of that, the schools are very reluctant to give them. And they often, they will test a child and they may come back and say, we're going to give them nothing. Or they may say, well, they don't really qualify for an IEP, so we'll give them a 504. But often that's a tactic that they use because it doesn't cost them money to implement the 504. It's just accommodation. You know, it's so just, how would a parent know the difference if that was if the evaluation was real or not, or uh, or when to step forward and um, and you know make a change? Uh, how how does a parent know what to do at that point? It's an excellent question, and it's kind of a twenty million dollar question. <laughs> it's really is your child able to do the schoolwork? Mm-hmm. So if they implement a five hundred four, is your child able to do the schoolwork? Is the support enough? And if your child continues to struggle and you continue to to get phone calls from the school about problems and they blame them on your child, for example, a child who has ADHD may be given a 504, and if the teacher is not implementing the accommodations properly, your child's going to continue to have problems. So now what usually happens is the school will blame it on the child and say, well, he does this and he does that and he's being lazy and he's being uncooperative. And, and you have to start saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, they're saying it's the child's fault, but are they really doing what they're supposed to be doing to make sure my child has the right support? So it's all in how's your child doing in school? If your child's not doing well in school, then maybe your child needs to do more, get more support. But, you know, you need to judge that. There are kids who won't do their schoolwork. There are kids who, refuse to participate and some kids who haven't been supported for many years even when they finally get the support they still don't want to participate so now we have to look at it is is there an emotional component here that we need to address so you need to look and see how's your child doing in school are they getting the right support and and go from there it's not always an issue of different curriculum or a service I think the emotional piece is really important because of a lot of our kids that have challenges. I'm sure, as Karen, as you know, you're you're somehow have a lot of anxiety issues. Oh yeah, and right? going to school. I, I remember picking him up from school, especially in middle school, and I, I used to say he's like a horse out of the gate. As soon as that bell rang, he was like the first one to run out of there. Get in the car, he couldn't wait to leave. And it was, you yeah. know, it was it was hard knowing that he was really struggling so much, even with a 504. You know, it's just uh, having to sit in a classroom for one for for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever at a time. That's really difficult for these these kids. You know, they 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 don't. Have to do it and you know and then yeah of course the school can imply sometimes that the parenting has issues and but it is emotional for the kids um and I've done um, some things with, uh, and I'll, I'll link to them, and uh, for emotional support um, that people can do as well, I'll link to that at naturallyrecoveringautism.com on the School Advocacy podcast page. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I'm looking here to uh, you had written in the past. NBC did an investigative journalism piece about California districts denying services to students. They found that since 2010, more than 10,000 families in California ended up in court in an effort to get services for their child. And this does not include all the parents who went to mediation or settled their due process outside of court. And I'll give the link to that as well. But yeah, so, you know, we want to support the emotional aspects of the child as well. And, and so what, what can we do there, Bonnie? What, what, what do you suggest for parents? Well, so I, I always say, like you were just talking about, start with the physical. Does your child have a physical issue that is causing the emotional challenge? Like, like with my son, it turned out to be a folate issue. Okay, so his brain wasn't getting enough folate. That caused extreme anxiety. When we fix the physical issue, it helps the brain function better. So always go for the biology first. And, and I think you totally understand that because you saw the exact same thing with your child. And right. uh, hundreds of thousands of parents are starting to realize this. We have to take a really quick break, and we're going to come back on to this uh, this issue of what you can do to emotionally support your child um, when we come back, and, and also the biological aspects involved with that. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the BBM Network and TuneIn Radio. And today our subject is school advocacy, and we have expert Bonnie Landau with us. And we were talking about, before the the last break, we were talking about the biological issues and things that cause anxiety, et cetera, uh, with our children and um, how we can help those kids. And and this is something that I, that this is my forte as my background was in holistic health and as a craniosacral therapist for over 30 years now. Um, and my bo- book focused on it. And now I have a step-by-step online program um, that you can uh, learn all about at naturallyrecoveringautism.com. Uh, just hit invite on the page there. And it's about walking people step-by-step through what I did to recover my son. And that was getting through the foundational aspects of detoxification and helping to heal his gut and getting out the heavy metal toxins and doing all this naturally and safely and then support therapies like craniosacral and neurofeedback and other things. Uh, And I walk parents through this on an online course again, because it's now it's helping parents in almost 40 countries. And it it was life changing literally for my son. And now it has been for many other children. So please go to my website, click on invite and read all about it. And if you're interested, I highly recommend it because this is right what we're talking about. Now, Bonnie is leading into how the aspects of biology have to be healed for your, your child to be able to focus and concentrate and be able to handle sensory issues in a classroom and to sleep at night. They have to be able to sleep as well so and control their mood. So that's what all of this is about. So, Bonnie, you were about to say, you were talking about how you found um, that your child had a folate deficiency and that was leading to some anxiety issues that he was having. Oh, yeah, and the sleep problems. And uh, focus, I mean, basically, once we fixed the biology, it was, it was amazing. It was literally like a magic bullet. All the major issues he was having that were affecting his schoolwork went away. I mean, he had a one-on-one aid in school, and he didn't need an aid anymore. And the school was flabbergasted. They had never seen a kid get better that fast, or even better. They never expected him, I think, to be independent. Mm-hmm. And, and then last year, he started as a freshman in high school, completely independent, no aid or anything. 
and he uh, remained an honor student. He still got got all A's and a B plus each term, and um, he did amazing. And he he took things like physics and graphic design and uh, math, and uh, he just did great. Wow! So, yeah, I love these stories. Yeah. But, you know, emotionally, I, I understand that it's a process to heal. It, I mean, we took, it took many years to, to figure all that out and get him healed. I didn't know about your program. Gosh, I wish I had. <laughs> it would have made it so much easier. <laughs> That's um, why I created it, it to really make it easier. <laughs> so I've yeah. done the research. I've gone, I've gone through it. So, yeah, definitely having support along the way and knowing what to do and, and how to do it, how well, do you utilize all that information. Yeah. But so, um, but you know, I know that in the meantime, though, you still have to support your your child. So sometimes you can uh, get the school to offer them some counseling. And my son had that. He worked with a school psychologist on anxiety and things he could do to reduce his anxiety when he was in situations that were difficult. And I think that helped a bit. I don't think it was a dramatic help, but at least he had support at school and recognition by the teachers that this was an area of concern. So they would let him take breaks from class when he needed it and things. And, um, and the other thing I think that's really crucial for these kids is to empower them to take charge of the challenges that they have by teaching them to self-advocate. And this is something that most parents don't even realize. You, if, they, if the student has an IEP, you can build this into the goals of the IEP. You can put in a self-advocacy goal. And a lot of these students have no idea that they have an, an IEP or 504, or if, even if they know that they have it, they don't really know why they have it, and they definitely don't know what it says and what kind of support they're allowed to ask for. And I have worked in schools where uh, pretty consistently, I'd say 98% of students who have these plans have no idea that they're entitled to ask for certain things like extra time on assignments or go to a quiet room to take a test. And, you know, it depends on what accommodations are in the plan, but it's really crucial to help the students learn what kind of supports are available to them so when they're having a hard time, they can ask for them. And some of these students need to learn to recognize when they need them. When do they ask for them and how do they ask for them? And it's important so, for them to uh, feel some sense of control around it, too. Like, oh, I'm just stuck with this. Yeah. I can't do anything about it. To know, okay, these are these are the things that I, I know I can do um, as well. Um, uh, if you it, it, Again, I'm going to say at naturallyrecoveringautism.com, I, I had, did do a blog post a, a while back on some of the things that a child can do in a classroom. We had, um, my son would pick up, a, 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 a they had a, a little box of books. So it had enough weight to it that um, would give him, a you know, his muscles a little bit of a workout, not too heavy, but, and if the teacher noticed he was like acting um, odd, she'd say, Jacob, would you take this box over to the next classroom? And then he could pick it up and the weight of it, the exercise is huge. When these kids get in trouble in the classroom and a teacher says, you don't get to have your recess, that is the absolute right. worst thing they can do. Those kids need to get out and run <laughs> <laughs> or know yeah. that they can get up and go to the bathroom anytime they want, five times in a class if they have to, not, you know, to a point where it's not disruptive. But if they've got to get out, they got to get out for a minute and it, that know that they have some tools to use and that they have that, you know, that, that, that availability. Right. At October 1st, I'm actually launching an online course. It's a parent-child course to teach your child how to self-advocate. And I think this is critical. 
I also have uh, resources on my website where you can uh, do I have printables on my website where you can help a student learn about their accommodations and uh, present it to the teacher because part of self-advocating is making the teacher aware of what the child is entitled to. So um, I think this is a really, really crucial skill because without that ability to say, I need to get up and take a break, that's what's going to happen. Your kid's going to get in trouble. And right. a lot of the teachers, they forget. They forget that the student needs this extra movement break. And all and, the teachers, um, and especially in middle school when they have multiple teachers, whoever the teachers are and the staff and the principal, they should all be in those yeah. 504 and IEP meetings so that they are aware of that child's, um, you know, sort of special needs and whatever, uh, whatever whatever they are so that the child doesn't end up just getting in trouble in school all the time. Because it also just ruins their self-esteem. They think, I'm a bad kid. Why can't I control myself? Everybody hates me. You know, and it's and they, they need to have people that are being supportive because they have understanding of what's going on for them. And it's not just some kid who's, you know, purposely trying to be behaviorally, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, insubordinate or whatever they want to call it. We're going to take a quick break, and and we're going to come back with a little bit more on um, things that you can do um, for your children in school and school advocacy. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And we are talking today about school advocacy and what you can do for your child to help them in school with their special needs or to find out if they have special needs that need to be um, worked with in school and give them the support that they need. We have special guest uh, Bonnie Landau with us, who is a school advocacy expert. And we were talking about some of the things that you can do uh, in school to help. And um, I know, Bonnie, that you have a roadmap that you've talked about um, to help parents kind of prepare and know what to do ahead of time a little bit. And um, and can you give us a little bit of background on that? Sure. I have on my website, which is specialmomadvocate.com, I have an infographic I created, which is a roadmap for prepping back to school. And it basically talks about, you know, how to organize your child's information, so how to get ready with a paperwork, or if you have IEP or 504, or um, if, let's say your child has a medical condition, you want to make sure you get that paperwork ready to give to the school nurse. So the first part is getting your child's information ready. And then the second part is getting ready to work with the school, how to inform the teacher about what kind of supports your child has, and um, reviewing documents so you know what your child should be getting. Um, because a lot of times, as parents, we kind of forget what, what should be happening in school in terms of services. And basically, when you're getting ready to work with the school, you know, what do you want to send to them and how do you want to communicate with them? And then the third step on the map is talking about preparing your child. You know, how do you get your routine back in sync after wonderfully sleeping in all summer? <laughs> And, um, you know, organizing their stuff is one thing, but also if your child's really anxious about going back to school, how do you handle that? And finally, I talk about how to prepare yourself, because as a mom of a child who learns differently, you might be anxious about your child going back to school. Will they do okay with friendships? Will the teacher be nice to them? Do they have what they need to get the right support? So this back-to-school roadmap, 
is basically a, a very long list. It's uh, almost 40 things, and it's got over 10 printables that you can use to help you get ready. I even created a checklist. So you can print it out and use that and check it off as you do each item. So you make sure you've done everything you can to make sure your child is prepped and is going to get the optimum support available when they go back to school. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I also know, too, the other, the other aspect of this is that, okay, so you might prep your child, you're getting them back there, and and, um, and you know that they have some, some issues, but you don't know how strong they are or what they need in school yet. Um, and so you say... You know, you've also mentioned in the past, I remember that uh, it's it's illegal for the faculty to tell a parent that they believe that your child has any type of special issue because they're then in the, in the scope of, of uh, under the laws that they somehow are saying that they are pr- providing medical advice. So they might even nicely want to help the parent and want to tell the parent that, hey, you know, I think you might want to have them evaluate or whatever, and, and they're, they're really restricted by laws. Is that still true? Yeah, well, this is actually... Um... It, it really depends on the state you're in, and uh, I think most states still have a law that saying, I think you should have your child evaluated for ADHD and consider medication. The people who work in school are not quali- qualified to make that uh, determination because they're not doctors. And so it's considered dispensing medical advice without a license, and this is considered illegal. The other thing is, is if they do that, there have been cases in court where the schools have done that, and then the parents have turned around and said, okay, well, I went and did this because you told me, so now you have to pay for the doctor's appointments and you have to pay for the medication because it was your idea. And they've won. The parents have won in court. So a lot of times the schools say to people, not only could you get in trouble for dispensing medical information without a license, but we might be on the hook for it. And this is, um, this is really, in, in a way, it's good because I think that what we see is a lot of kids get labeled too quickly just because a kid can't sit still. They assume they have ADHD. And you and I both know, Karen, that um, most of the time ADHD is not going to be solved by prescription drugs, that the kid has something else going on. Mm-hmm. That you know, And so just saying go get some medicine is not going to solve the problem. So uh, just assuming that the kid has ADHD is, is a flawed theory, but people do that. Same as any kid who has social problems, they automatically say, oh, they must have autism. But there's a lot of things that can cause kids to have social issues. So it's not uh, always beneficial when the teachers put those labels out. But, yeah, they definitely could get in trouble for dispensing medical information or they could get in trouble with their district. Can a parent ask the teacher or the faculty if they're noticing some challenges for their child? Like if they ask, if they're the one to prompt it uh, or say, you know, I'm noticing my child has some of these issues going on. I'd like to hold a meeting with, um, you know, his teacher and some of the staff to talk about the possibility of a, a 504 plan or an IEP or an evaluation. I guess we should go for an evaluation at that point. Or, or can, the, can the parent prompt it if they believe that there's something going on? Is that better, a better way to go? Absolutely. The only thing that the teachers and the other people in school cannot do is label it. And even when the school psychologist does their assessments or the occupational therapist does their assessments, they cannot give the child a diagnosis. And this is kind of, um, 
this is an area of uh, misunderstanding in the world of special education. So if they mark your child off, qualify for an IEP, let's say, under autism, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have autism. What it means is that in the school setting, they present symptoms that could be construed as autism. So, for example, a student has a lot of social issues, they qualify under autism, but they might have auditory processing disorder. So right. the qualification is not always um, the right category. If you okay. okay, we're we're going to take a quick break, and then I think when we come back, it's great to go into um, the things about uh, getting that evaluation, um, determining if they need services, but also um, what to do if the uh, they refuse or deny your child a plan. So uh, stay with us again. This Natural Recovering Autism at Bold Brave Media. We will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism, and I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are talking today with special advocacy, school advocacy expert, Bonnie Landau. And before our break, we were discussing what can you do to, to a, what can a parent do if, say, the school says no to doing an evaluation because you've got to keep out, keep the, you know, any diagnostic words out. I mean, even anxiety, you have to say feelings of anxiousness. You can't, we have to be so careful about everything we say, you know, um, um, ADD, autism, those words they have to kind of leave out. So, you know, if the school says no to doing an evaluation or if they do an evaluation, how do they determine if the child is eligible and maybe what happens if you get denied? So, Bonnie, can you give us uh, some tools mm-hmm. for that? Yes, definitely. So it, the, the important thing to understand is that there's two pieces to the evaluation process. Number one is what category does the student qualify under and there's 13 categories that they could qualify under and just because they check off like I said before just because they check off autism to qualify doesn't necessarily mean that they have autism what it means is that they're displaying symptoms of autism in the school setting so um, it's important to understand this because it's when they qualify your child they're qualifying them under the category that they can best offer services hopefully best offer services and autism often gets some extra money from the state so that's often a category they like to qualify under but the second piece of qualification is is it impacting my child in school so how is this disability affecting the child's ability to perform in school and this is where there's a lot of miscommunication. Parents say, well, the doctor said my kid has ADHD, but the school won't give me a 504. Well, when you put your kid on medicine or you figured out that they had a food allergy and you fix that and the child's symptoms got better, now is it really impacting your child in school? So just because they have the diagnosis doesn't necessarily mean that they'll qualify for services in school. So if you find that their child is impacted in school, the big question is how, and the how determines what services the student should get. And so this is where often there's a lot of tripping up in getting your child's services. They may qualify for a category. For Like I said, you might get an outside diagnosis. Maybe a neuropsych diagnosed your child with autism or a learning specialist diagnosed your child with dyslexia. But then the school will say, well, it's not really impacting your child in school. They'll say, you know, well, you know, you say your child has a processing problem, but they're doing their standardized testing at, you know, low normal levels. And we see your child is performing within normal limits. And so 
that's often where you find the school denying services because they're saying we don't see a problem or we don't see a problem that's bad enough that your child qualifies. And this is uh, a ambiguous area that is very easy for the school to skew results. I mean, think about it. When people are doing assessments on your child, there's a human factor in doing the assessment. And I can tell you in our old school district, we were told by somebody within the district that the people who worked there were sent to training sessions to teach them how to say no to services. And we saw the school psychologist results were drastically different than the private neuropsychologist that we had. And this is how they can help deny services. So that's a huge challenge in schools. How do you get around the human factor when the schools are working hard to not give services. I'm not saying all districts are like this. I had a school teacher get upset with me a couple of weeks ago saying she tried very hard to support her students and they didn't focus on denying services. And that's true. Not all districts are like that. We live in the district that's not like that. But I think a lot of the districts are like that. They're focused on how can we avoid providing support. So, so what does a parent is, do if that's happening? Yeah, well, our, that's why we moved out of our old district, because we realized every year we were going to have to hire a lawyer, because that's what happened. We hired a lawyer, and then we got support, and it was still inadequate support, and it cost us $20,000 to get it. And we realized that's what we were going to have to do every year at the IEP, is they're going to have to shell out a ton of money just to help our kid. And we said it'd be better just to move, and so that's what we did. So the question is, if you live in a district that's that's just completely focused on not getting services, what do you do? And that that question really has to do with the personality of your district. So in my book, Special Ed Mom Survival Guide, I have a chapter called Creating the Special Ed Profile for Your District, where I go through several steps you can Uh, investigate in order to come up with how good or bad is my district at giving services, what kind of results have other parents seen, and what did they do to get the results. For example, every state keeps a uh, database of all the due process hearings. So you can look up due process hearings against your district and see how they were, uh, how they came out. And so you can find out how did the school fight and what did the hearing officer decide. And so first you got to figure out how your school district handles special ed, and then you have to formulate a response strategy to that. And it really usually comes down to knowing the law and knowing how they're sort of manipulating or bending the law so that you can come back with, this is the law and what you said is inaccurate or what you're doing is inappropriate, and here's the law that says so. It usually comes back to that, which is why an advocate or an attorney is often needed because you need somebody well-versed in the law. And I will link at, uh, again, naturallyrecoveringautism.com, click on podcast, and then just type in school advocacy in the search bar. It'll pop right up. The school advocacy page, I'll I'll link to um, Bonnie's Back to School Roadmap, IEP Advocates, Council for Parent Attorneys and Advocates, so it can lead you to some people that are skilled and educated in this that can help support you if you have to look for somebody like that or need to. A little bit on sensory processing disorders because some people are a little vague on what exactly that is. So I'll give you 
some of those links as well. And I know, Bonnie, you have um, at, at your website, specialmomadvocate.com, yeah, you have a, a blog post you've written to, and I'll link to it all as well on the the, the on my, my website page. But I said, why would the school give my child the wrong diagnosis? In that, it, does it give you give in that post of yours? Does it give some of these tools as well? Yes, yes, and I talk about why they use that either to disqualify your child or why they might put them in a, cate- a certain category so that they can give certain services. So, yeah, okay, that that post is a good one. Perfect. Yeah. And um, we're going to take a quick break, uh, Naturally Recovering Autism. And I'm your host, Karen Thomas, coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi, welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today's topic is school advocacy and what you can do for your child to help them in school and get the help that you need. And uh, we have a special expert, Bonnie Landau, today with us. Um, and we're talking about some of the aspects of how you can help your child, um, especially if they are, even if they're, they happen to be denied um, a, um, a, a special program, the things that you can do. And again, I'm going to mention that all the links for this show, I will put um, on the podcast page, naturallyrecoveringautism.com. And if you just type in the search bar school advocacy, it'll pop up with a couple other posts there as well. I would like everybody to know that Bonnie offers a free 30-minute consultation to identify ways that you can help your child. And she can be contacted at specialmomadvocate.com and um, all the links I'm going to give you to IEP advocates, Council for Parent Attorneys and Advocates, uh, all of these aspects uh, will be at that page at naturallyrecoveringautism.com as well. So um, before we uh, wrap up, Bonnie, is there anything else that you'd like to add in? Yeah, you know, I just really want to encourage parents not to give up. I know that it's a hard journey. I know that it feels like an endless battle with the school, but really you're the best person to help your child. So just really put in all the time to research, find resources. There's a lot of resources. Contact your local parent center. Um, Every state has federally funded parent centers to help you advocate for your kid. Just don't give up. There's a lot you can do to make sure your child gets what they need. And, and mostly, you know, look outside of school. What can you do outside of school? What can you do physically to heal your child? What therapies can you do to heal their brain? There's so much you can do, and your child can get better. Just don't lose hope. Right. I know sometimes uh, I'll get somebody on Facebook or somewhere will say, you know, I don't know these kids can't get better. I don't know what you're talking about. And I think, and I, and I say, yeah, but they are. You know, and it's just a symptom, you know, a label of symptoms that they they've given. And and so it does, I don't care if you call it autism or not, if they have a whole bunch of symptoms where, you know, they have stomach aches, headaches, sensory processing disorders that make it hard to sit in a classroom. They can't focus. They can't sleep. They're they they're not eating. They're not getting enough nutrition. All, all of these these aspects, their moods are out of control. They're wild. And, um, you know, and, and then you, you know, you take them through this process, exactly what I did with my son, you take them through this process, you know, through all the research I learned, what needed to happen to, to, to 
basically heal his biology to be able to get his body back to health and get all the toxins out of the way. And then the support therapies that were right ones to use because there's so much that you can waste your money on that don't work. And and so that's why I've created, um, and again, I'll link to it. It's my Autism Moms Mentoring Program. It's a step-by-step online program. And um, I created it because... My son today is fully recovered after I was once told he could not get rid of his symptoms. And all of those symptoms I just mentioned were my son's symptoms. And he has none mm-hmm. of those anymore, not one. And he, today he's mm-hmm. 22 years old. He lives away at college on his own. He's happy. He's healthy. He has a ton of friends. He's he's doing great. I mean, he's, he's so much fun to be around and enjoyable. And and I remember that, you know, that it, it was challenging when he was little and he was wild and explosive. And you know that's not who your child is. It's because of the toxins and the, the ill health in their system. And you can rebalance that and, and who they really are can come out and then they can live a fulfilling life and offer the gifts to the world that they have to give because they do have so many to give. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really encourage parents to look outside of school. What can you do to support your child? The school can only do so much and really the key of what's really going on with your child is not going to be resolved at school. It's just not because it's their underlying biology, what's really going on in their brain. Right. I totally yeah. agree with you about that. And just trying to manage symptoms and you're trying to tell a child to do something. My son would say, mom, I want to, but I can't. And I finally realized he literally couldn't do it because at the time I didn't know it. He was so toxic. Now he, he, he's in control of all of those. So uh, again, all of these links will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com on the podcast school advocacy page. Thank you for being here today with us, Bonnie. We greatly appreciate your help. I think we should probably bring you back in the future. You have so much to share. Uh, and Thank the link you. to specialmomsadvocate.com will also be on that page, or you can go to it as well. Um, so thank you again for being here, Naturally Recovering Autism, and uh, we will see you next week.